reasons for reading are as varied as our personalities. The Unreading Podcast talks to people about the books they've loved in their life and the reasons why. Hello, this is Clementine for Unreading. I'm delighted to be at the Alligator's Mouse, a children's bookshop in southwest London, Richmond. I'm with Margaret Wallace-Jones, co-founder of the place with Tony West. And it's just wonderful to be here on a dark October night. Yes, Margaret. Hi. What kind of reader are you? Um, what kind of re- I'm a I'm I'm a reader who needs to read. I'm very miserable if I don't read, and it does happen sometimes in kind of periods of extreme stress or busyness. If I'm not reading, it's not it's not good. It's just not no. good for my mental health. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how people who don't read manage their mental health. You once mentioned when we were talking of uh, Narnia and um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that it was for you the idea of going behind the wardrobe to a new land was exactly what reading was. That is really true, and I do think about that when I think about the Lion, the Witch, and, and the Wardrobe. I loved it so much because it gave. It, it's a book about other worlds, and it gave me other worlds, and that's what books do. That's, you know, somewhere else to go when you don't want to be where you actually are. And to be human is not to want to be where you actually are. If you want to get out of your head, it's a, it's a great way to do it. Because I mean, it, it has many other benefits as well, you know, great for increasing your empathy and, and all of that. But yeah, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, it was in the library that we used to go to when I was a kid. Um, and it was always out. You could never get your hands on it because the cool, slightly older than me girls always had it. <laughs> and um, eventually my parents bought me a copy and I read it and read it and read it and it's kind of held together with tape and it's covered in grass stones from when I used to read it in the garden it's in my mum's it's in my mum's house I'm good. first they bought me that one first and then um, then they bought me a box set of all of them and it had obviously had a new one of, of that in it which I was not allowed to keep I had to give that away to somebody else because I already had the copy they'd written and bought me I was not happy about that maybe that's why because I remember you saying also that uh, at some point you thought there was an eight volume because it's it's a seven book uh, story I had a dream in which there was an eighth one Um, I was very invested in these books and yeah I'd read them all and there weren't any more I had a dream in which there was an eighth book and when I woke up as far as I was concerned I was one (laughs) and I drove my family just you know, to the to the brink of their reserves of good humour by searching for this non-existent book. I wanted to ask you as well your story about becoming a reader. Um, I my my sister was three years older than me, and she could read before I could, um, and I was extremely jealous because it just looked so much fun to be reading Peter and Jane books. I remember her reading like, the early lady book, mm. Bird, reading Peter and Jane books in chair. She was not paying any attention to me because she was reading this book and I couldn't and I wanted to. She was elsewhere. Yeah, she was elsewhere. She was not interested. Well, she wasn't interested in me quite a lot of the time anyway, <laughs> to be fair. But yeah, I mean, she just, she wasn't. And I wanted it. And we were read to all the time as, as, as kids, which I think is a great way of, you know, helping children learn to read. Um, so one, and one day I was sitting at the kitchen table um, at breakfast time looking at the back of a cornflake packet and kind of one minute as I looked to it it was just a jumble of meaningless symbols and the next minute it kind of resolved itself into language I could understand and it was a 
it, a kind of a magical moment for me. I won't ever forget it. And it's made me very interested in how children work, learn to read because obviously people learn in all different kinds of ways. Was it at the same, or in your memory, it's within the same instant, nearly, that at one moment the signs don't make sense and mm. suddenly they do? Yeah, it was exactly yeah. like that. Um, and the world opens up. It really does. It really, really, exactly what happens, the world the world opens up in just marvellous ways. You know, and you have, ac you, ha you have access to other people's thoughts. And I think one of the things reading, reading does is it makes you feel, it's why it's so important for your mental health, it makes you feel less alone. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. It's an extraordinary thing we do when we read, I think. You know, the relationship between you and the words, the kind of, the dance you do with the text, mm. the kind of, the intellectual back and forth. The and being able to do all that when one is practiced enough mm. without even being aware of it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's very complex and we take it for granted. You know, kind of once we can do it and do it well, you know, I, we stop thinking about the process. But sometimes I do remember the process and, and how, it, how I first experienced it. Sometimes it. Sometimes I'll I'll read something and it's still, actually, uh, m most often probably in poetry, it still has that kind of, that sort of, magical feeling of of everything clicking home. Mm. Partly because I think poetry is a obviously poetry is doing a different thing to novels. It's on its way to being music. It has that in it as well. Mm. And I, you know, I've certainly found at times when I have not been able to read novels, and I love novels, but you know when. When when somebody's dying, I find I find it very difficult to read novels. It's the intention span thing, and for lots of reasons. But um, poetry, there's really no, been no life situation where I haven't been able to read poetry. I find it enormously comforting. Partly it's because they're very often short. You know, I think your brain can't always cope with a whole novel, but pretty much can always do a poem. And, and also partly because it it kind of. It, It goes, to, I think, to a different part of your brain mm. in the way that in the way that music it does. I think it speaks to you, and it, and it speaks often on a very directly emotional level. It 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 goes deep, deeply it does. within, doesn't yes. it? One of your books is Other Men's Flowers. Um, yeah. How did that book came to be in your hands? Or um, Well, it was given to me by, by my by my father, who who loved poetry. Much of my love for poetry comes from him, and it's um it's an anthology anthologized by um um a soldier, Wavell, who was kind of my father was also a soldier. He was a mili military hero of my my father's. Um, my father read my father read a lot, um, and it's it isn't. This is a very unfashionable collection of poetry. Um, Although, as you were saying earlier, you know, it's never been out of print. But it's very... My father always used to say, largely, I think, to irritate me, he used to say that a poem was not... Um, it wasn't a poem, as far as he was concerned, if it didn't rhyme and if it wasn't about the empire. Yes, <laughs> I was about to say, because Other Men's Flowers, it's a lot, a lot of white men. They all are. How, um, did you, how did you feel then when your dad, your father, gave you that book? With a twinkle in his eye, or well, I was very young. No, I mean it was he. Lo he loved the book. He well, he was he used to say that about about the rhyming in the empire. He say that to irritate me. He, I mean, you know, that wasn't why he gave me a book. It was because he 
he loved poetry and he loved the book and he could you know he could be lured away very easily from poems that rhymed and were about the empire mm. to you know to poems that didn't i remember I, I distinctly remember him reading T.S. Eliot's Journey of the Magi at my at my urging, which doesn't rhyme and it's not about the empire. And <laughs> and and he sat and I you know I could see him being transfixed by it. At the end, he said, "Yes, that's very evocative." <laughs> <laughs> yes. You've chosen uh, this book because it was a gift from your father, and it means that, or because you actually. Oh, and because you actually love the content. You know, there are people in there who, po poets who I'm always going to want to read, you know, Samuel Taylor Coleridge mm. and, and, and um, you know, and, and Keats. But it does contain some of my favourite poems, and I don't know if I'd have known that they were going to be my favourite poems if I hadn't found them in mm. this um, anthology, Robert Louis Stevenson's Romance, which I love. It's a very simple poem, but I find it extremely kind of, charming and I feel a huge emotional connection with it and with him as a writer I don't know if I'd have known that mm. had I not found it in this book and I kind of think when he first gave it to me I was I probably thought oh, this is a bit tedious I mean I wasn't very old I was probably 11 or 12 I didn't wow. really yeah. yeah and then but you know my copy now is very very well read because there's always something in it and part of what I like about it is it's an anthology it's the first anthology that ever meant anything to me um, and I have many other anthologies now which mean a huge amount to me and what I love about them is that they've been selected by a human who loves them and you get to see that human brain and the connections they make and the way they think about it yes. so that then the, 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 the selection of poems becomes in itself a kind of narrative yes I find that extremely emotionally satisfying there's a, a quote yeah. by Montaigne I have gathered the poesy of other men's flowers and nothing but the thread that binds them is my own. Yes. And that's exactly that. It really is. And I find, I, I very much enjoy it when I find a poem that I'm familiar with, but in a different anthology. So it's next to different poems. And then you see that poem differently. I'm actually, you know, Nosy Crow's um, wonderful yes. I Am The Sea, yes. which has contains many poems yes. that I know and many that I don't know. And that hugely enjoyable feeling that I got when I opened it where I get to drift happily from page to page you know kind of taken on a journey where I don't actually know where I'm going it's not like it's kind of not like a novel it's 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 different it's like being in a I don't know it's like uh, it's a like, land or a landscape uh, yeah, or at sea yeah, and occasionally exactly. you have those boy yes. that you the boy that you know and and yeah. keeps you afloat yeah <gasps> They're gorgeous book. I mean, those two Nazi Crow books, the the them. seed that I am, I am the seed, I'm the seed that and the new Tiger Tiger, Tiger Tiger. They're they're physically beautiful to look at, and and I, I do think um, Fiona Waters. I just think her selection mm. for those books is wonderful. But in the first one, I am the seed. I found many poems that cheer me up and pull mm. me up on days where I feel a bit lost. Yes. I think poetry really can do that for you. Um, it I can, and I, I just, you know, I love it so much, and a lot of people don't, you know, if, if you're not coming from a family where, where people read poetry, and if it's not, if you don't have a teacher who loves it, maybe you're never going to have it, and I think everybody should have, should have that opportunity to find out that they enjoy it because yes. we all given the opportunity we all we all would I think it's a very it's a very basic human art form it's a very early human art form obviously it predates novels <laughs> doesn't it <laughs> 
Yeah, other men's flowers, not other women's flowers. So how old were you when you read Narnia? Eight? I was probably about eight. Uh, yeah, eight. I would think so. Then which one came after, if we go through your If books? we go through it chronologically. I kind of feel like yeah, um, I know why the caged bird sings and... Um, the Handmaid's Tale, these are both my, my the original copies that I read, and I see they're both the same price, which is £3.95. Wow. So I'm pretty sure I would have read them at around the same time, which would have been, in I would think, probably in my late teens. Mm. And both hugely important books for me, actually. They really made a difference to the way I thought about the world, which, of course, is one of the things that books should do for you. And... You know, in kind of terms of showing you someone else's experience. And certainly, um, Mayor Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which is a wonderful book. And, and every time I read it, I've, you know, if I'm reading it, I'm feeling, and I'm, and things aren't great, and I'm feeling very anxious. The first time I reread it for you, I was in exactly that situation. I was very kind of freaked out and worried about something, and I was reading it, and, and, and as I read it, I felt my, I felt my worry unknotting. It has the ability to do that. She has this extraordinarily... The many, many difficult things happen to her as a, as a young girl. And she's... There is, there's just no self-pity in this book. I'm fascinated by that. None. It's the opposite of a misery memoir. Mm. There's no self-pity. And there's a, you can really see a hanger for life. Yeah. And again, books have a, a very important place in this story in that, her story so 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 important and that's one of the yeah so important that's one of the things i loved about it when i when i read it first you know as a young woman because books meant a huge amount to me as well and kind of in the same sort of way i mean obviously my life was fine absolutely <laughs> fine <laughs> but they were you know they were doing that thing which you know offering you know kind of offering escape and solace and windows to other worlds and actually when she after she's raped she stops speaking and her grandma suggests that she goes and anyway she she goes and spends time with this this lady who lives nearby who's really who has huge Mrs. flowers yeah who has um lots and lots of books and who who reads to her from um, a tale of two cities and you know which she's which may has already read but she's transfixed by hearing it read aloud which i think is so true you know reading aloud is being read aloud too is such a profoundly important thing it's so you know, so joyous. I love it so much. One of the things I love most about the shop, and I'm so sad that we can't really do it at the moment because of the situation. Um, but I love listening to stories, and and she she hears it. She hears the beginning of it read aloud, and then she speaks. You know, yeah. books. The books are yeah, extraordinarily powerful. Um, it's like a hook to bring her back to it, life. It does. It brings her back. It brings her back to life. And you can see this is a this is a this is a book written by someone who has a she has a, a profound passion and engagement for with language with words and her, her her writing is so it's you know so vivid and immediate um it really it really puts you in her world and and yet she manages to make it despite the fact it's a very specific time and place and experience she manages to make it very universal and i think that's 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 the sign of a very, very good writer. She's incredibly robust, and you know I think that's something that that maybe isn't kind of celebrated enough in humans, but we should. And in her poetry as well, that's what a lot of her poetry is about. 
from a feminist point of view, this was a very important book to me. It really was, and as I said, I you know I read it at the same time as A Handmaid's Tale, and probably those two books. It's yes. funny because they are like a pair, but they're very different books. Yes, they are. How did you come across The Handmaid's Tale? I mean, both of them, both of these are um, Virago books, and I I mean they're not the I I I read a lot at that time that Virago were publishing, so that you know mm. they were publishing lots of. Um, books for baby feminists like me. <laughs> I, I was either at the end of my time at an all-girls boarding school or had recently kind of left where, and you know, that wasn't an environment where people really did feminism. And this is kind of the late 80s. Nobody was a feminist. Were, were um, you openly a feminist? I mean, at school, would you... Well, at school, I kind of tried to keep my mouth shut and my head down because I mm. was sort of safest, really, in, yes. that, in that environment. Um, although I might, by the time I by the time I got to sixth form, I might have started talking about it a bit because I was a bit more comfortable. But certainly by the time I got to university, I was very tedious about it indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and partly, and it was easy. But and, you know, the hand, Handmaid's Tale, uh, her, her writing is is lean. I think mm. in this book, it's quite it's quite very nice, and that adds to I think much of its much of its impact. I suppose when I read it as a young woman, I found myself thinking what, what I think anybody would think when they're reading it, which is, God, how easily this could happen. Yes. And when I reread it, actually, I read it differently. Because when I, when I read it as a young woman, it was all about feminism. But when I read it as a much older woman, it was all about loss. She's, it's, she's lost everything, you know, lover, child, friendship. She even clothes. clothes. She doesn't have reading anymore. She doesn't have books anymore. This is a book about not having books anymore. Yeah, the the horror of a. You can tell it's very horrifying for Margaret Atwood. The thought of not 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 being able to read. I'm very grateful to it, actually. And re rereading it as well, kind of nap from the perspective of now. I was, I found it. I found it. It's the word. Um, kind of prescient. She, because before it happens, but you know before women are essentially locked down, if I can use that word. Um, but it's set in a, at a time when there's been a kind of pornification of culture. That's what happens first, before all of women's rights are, are, are taken away. And so the response to that is a kind of crushing puritanism. And I, it just did, you know, it made me... It made me think of what ha what was happening coming up to the whole the Me Too Mm. movement when I think that there was you know kind of the internet and the way that women were being relentlessly portrayed there was a point at which it I mean I, rem I remember thinking maybe in sort of 2012 2013 when there was that kind of that kind of idea that you women were supposed to look like a porn star and at that time also there were there were a lot of you know jokes about rape were very out there and it was kind of obviously feminists were complaining about it but they were still out I'm not and I'm not saying they should be banned I'm not a person who enjoys banning things but obviously I hated those jokes but I also remember thinking this combination of things for young women who now have you know political agency and and economic power and jobs and independent you know this it, it just can't it can't stand and something is coming something will come and I think me too was sort of what, what, uh, what came. I, yeah I think so that was a Virago both books yeah they both both of them and how did you did you read about them or were they recommended to you or did you 
pick them out in a good bookshop? I think or? I just I think I just found them in a bookshop. They used to keep all the Virago books together, so I guess so they could see where the feminists were. Yeah. <laughs> and I had I mean there are a lot of them still on on the bookshelves at my mum's house, which is where I got my old books are and a lot of margaret atwood's other books and i'd um i'd recommend the edible woman to you which is her first novel which is great it's very funny it's sort of i don't know i think you'd call it proto-feminist it's really really funny it has a sort of it kind of acts like a light-hearted romance but it's margaret atwood so it really isn't it's really dark and really strange but it's very funny i think in all your books actually there's the real dark side of humanity showing and then there's there's it and stephen king yeah it you came about it because one of your friends uh, was reading it and you were staying at hers and you basically just nicked it and started reading it and couldn't put it down i did and actually probably it's i was probably the same kind of age i was probably 19 because it was our first year at university and it was my friend my friend bawani we, we were there was i wasn't even supposed to be there so i was sleeping in her single bed with her because there wasn't anywhere else <laughs> so we were sleeping head to toe and she was reading this book and every time she left the room or put it down I would seize it and start to read it and indeed I just think I'm really not wanting to go to the pub so that I could read this book because it is so immersive and addictive and colossally entertaining in a way that Stephen King is really really good at. it's an enormous door it's a huge book it's a massive book, it's a but massive it's brilliant book. from beginning to end. Yes, it is. He's really an amazing uh, narrator. Yeah, he is. He's just great at, at storytelling. He's brilliant at storytelling, and he's also, I think he's great at character, and I think you know, that's kind of underrated in him. He, you, know, you can tell he loves the people he's writing about, and they're real to him, so they're real to us. What I loved about it is it's really about children... The child we were and our relationship to the child we were as an adult. I, I think he's brilliant on childhood. A lot of his his best books uh, feature children very, very importantly. The Shining is kind of an obvious example. Mm, the Body. Yeah. And um, mm. Firestarter, actually. It's often seen from the point of view of an adult remembering what childhood was or who he was as a child mm. whether it's it's framed within a writer writing of his experience or whether here the adults having so those i think there were five children one dies yeah as an adult and they they yes they're kind of called back reluctantly i think there's seven of them aren't there and one seven dies. i think there's seven and one does i feel yeah. like a weird urge <laughs> to to list them there's bill and bev and and ben and um, Richie and Eddie and Mike and Stan. Yeah, there's seven. And Stan dies? Yes. It's Stan who Stan dies. Stan who dies. There's only one girl as well. Yes, there's one girl, but she's great. Yeah. So it's also more than just a horror story. It's also, I the way I read it, a strong critic of, of America and, and of, racism homophobia the evil that's how i read the eat and maybe it's me reading the book like that because i'm aware that stephen king is very very much uh anti-trump and anti 
all that kind of small town narrow-mindedness. I, I think it's I think that that he is very very concerned with those things, but you know he writes about small towns and he, I'd have to say I, I think he loves small towns. The sense of place. Mm. He's so good at place as well. It, the, you know the play the barons the place where they play is that I mean I love those parts of the book. Mm. They're really powerfully evocative. You can really feel and yourself in those places and you know they kind of speak to the wild places of my childhood as well and children need wildness and you know they will find it they will find it if they're allowed out they'll find wildness they need it he writes about that really well but I think what you're saying about um the way he writes about America yeah I mean he I find him fascinating because that that's a writer who I think kind of knows his country He's not taken seriously, I don't, I don't think, but he will be read. He'll be read in 50 years and in 100 years, because, partly because he's so entertaining, but also because of the things that he's writing about. You know, he, he, he understands his country. And if you read, and I would um, I'd really recommend, have you read The Dead Zone? I can't <laughs> tell you how much that you really, because uh, as Trump began his kind of rise to power, I remember thinking, yeah just like in the dead zone which he which king wrote in the 1970s where this kind of this kind of huckster salesman charlatan psychopath kind of yeah <laughs> Narcissist. <laughs> all of this kind of ricochets across america and begins this kind of horrible seedy terrifying dangerous and inevitable rise to some some kind of awful end he, so he's on that kind of trajectory and our, our hero Johnny who's um, has these psychic powers which he acquired when he was, they're on this kind of collision course mm. but it's really peculiar and I, I remember I remember thinking god it is just like the dead zone he must find it weird if I was Stephen King I'd be weirded out by myself right now I'd, I think did in, I write in that novel did I make this happen yes. I might be thinking that Maybe I have more power than I know. When it becomes you know, something close to genius is when maybe you don't know actually what it is that you're that you're making. You know, too much control over over. You can kind of tell sometimes when you're reading. I mean, you know, a writer who's thinking about it too much is not necessarily a writer you're going to want to read. You don't want to be able to see the writing. Do you feel like you you loved reading so much that you had to? Uh by the bookshop <laughs> um, yeah I mean there were lots of reasons for, for for buying the bookshop we're in the bookshop at the moment and I must say it's such a fabulous place to be recording mm. Mm. Tony and I um, your partner yeah my business in, partner Tony and I yeah. in, we, we both love to read everybody who works here loves to read and I think all of us would agree that it's been transformative or life defining Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I love the shop the most when kids are in it. I mean, I would have loved this shop when I was a kid. Mm. <laughs> well, did you have many books when you were a child? Because you're, you used to go to the library a lot. And the library was in your school? Yeah, it was. It? Yes, it Where was. did you grow up? Did in, you... in Cheshire, kind in, of north, Cheshire. in the northwest. In the countryside? Or... Yeah, it was a village. Um, <gasps> my school was in a, in a small village and the, the, li the public library was in the school and my mum used to leave me there while she went and did the shopping 
and I love the librarians very much. And then actually later on when I started to be a feminist, they would let me, there was like a back room where they felt, where they kept copies of Spare Rib. Do you know what's mm, that? Yeah. <laughs> um, the magazine. The magazine, I remember finding it. And it was just, I mean, again, eye-opening. I was like, oh, man, man, <laughs> <awful>. <laughs> In the small village. Yeah, exactly. So Patriarchy <laughs> must be destroyed. <laughs> so. so one can find a lot of surprising things in libraries as well. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot, and they, I don't know where they all come from. It was all, it was all very incongruous. But there was certainly there was spare rib, and there was another, you know, very, very. I, I don't even remember what it was called, but a whole pile of a very some kind of very left wing publication, which I also read. Very, and you know, it was a whole different set of political views than I'd been, than I'd really been exposed to. And I'm sure it was insufferable to be around after I read those. <laughs> My poor parents. Yeah. Were there at your parents? Were there many books, and were there yeah. books that were forbidden to you? No, there were many books, um, and none of them were forbidden to me. They did buy me books, um, kids' books, but we got a lot of a lot of books from the library. Mm. Yeah. <gasps> But no, nothing, nothing was, nothing was Out of reach. No. It sounds like paradise. Book paradise. There were a lot of books. My, both my parents, you know, they, they loved reading and they read to us all the time. Yeah. Do you give books as presents? Yeah. yeah. Pretty much exclusively. I don't really give anything else. Because, mm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> nothing much. Uh, a good book? No, nothing does. Like you said, it's hard, hard to live without books. I really couldn't. You don't have to. I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to um, add? Just that it's really, it's quite, it's a hard thing to do to decide on, you know, five books that are really important to you that you want to talk about. Because there are so many books. I, 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 I know why these books, but I also sort of don't know why. But it is mm. these books. They're all very important to me. Well, Margaret, thank you for sharing your library with us. Thank you for having me, it was lovely. The On Reading Podcast is produced by Will, Bella and Clementine. For more information about the podcast, our guests and the books we've talked about, please visit onreading.co.uk. Thank you.